is the Business of Reselling podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Oman. Here we go, everyone. It's the Business of Reselling podcast, episode one. I'm very excited to be here and to hopefully get to know hundreds or even thousands of you over the coming months and years as this podcast evolves and grows. But today, I just hope to set the tone for what the podcast is really about. If you're curious about the format and length and sort of some of those housekeeping details, um, go back and look at episode zero. So that'll be like a legacy episode that'll just kind of give you an overview of the structure of the podcast. Um, But today, I'm going to be telling the story of how we got started, uh, helping you get to know me a little bit, um, just telling you why I'm doing this podcast, what Storage Warrior is all about, what I'm all about. Um, I'll be sharing uh, some goals that we're working on in our business, which has sort of driven um, my motivation to start this podcast and um, start sharing some of the things that I've learned about reselling vintage and collectibles with you, as well as some goals that I have for the podcast itself. Um, and then I'll get right into some of my theories about how we could possibly get to $1 million in annual sales, um, what I think some of the challenges are of getting there. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit, too, about the fears of a com- upcoming recession and how that might affect um, this podcast and all of our reselling businesses. So we'll, I'll be sharing a bunch of different theories and we'll test some of those theories in upcoming episodes. So first, I just want to tell you the story of our business, uh, how we got started and why we do this. So it was way back in 2012. And at the time, that show Storage Wars, which I'm sure you've all seen, was really popular on TV and we were super into it. So we started looking around at whether storage auctions happened in Metro Vancouver, which is where we live and operate our business. And it turned out that at that time, they did have some live auctions and we found one and we went to it. I remember the auction having a lot of lockers and it went very slowly. It took the bulk of a day um, to get through it all. And we bought the very last locker. I think we paid $200 for it. And inside, we found a lot of junk, which if you've also ever bought storage lockers at auction, you know these units are often about 80% junk. Um, and we found a lot of that. But one treasure that was in there was a fairly large set. I think it was over 70 pieces of Royal Albert Old Country Roses. You know, it's a classic uh, Royal Albert pattern. A lot of people collect it. Um, most of the pieces themselves are not individually super valuable, but as a set, this was um, a pretty good find. So for 200 bucks, I think we resold what we had in there for seven or 800. And then we probably made a few hundred dollars more on the other stuff that we found. And I remember the whole process being so messy. We didn't know what to do. We didn't really know how to sort stuff. We had to call a friend in with his car to come down. And then everything ended up in the living room. And our living room was just a disaster for <laughs> three or four days while we figured out what, how on earth we were going to um, tackle the task of organizing and sorting these lockers. But nevertheless, and despite all those frustrations, we were totally hooked on it. We were like, this is the most fun we've ever had. So we started going to more auctions. We started buying more stuff to resell and sort of just began as like a side hustle, bit of cash on the side. Um, my husband was still working as a tree planter and I was doing business consulting. So we thought those would remain our gigs for the foreseeable future. But over time, um, we found we wanted to dedicate more time and energy to reselling. We were just having a lot of fun with it, finding cool treasures, um, flipping things for really good money, meeting neat people. 
you know, there were just, there's so many aspects of the business that, you know, if you do this are the things that keep you uh, hooked on it. And so we found that we were enjoying that a lot more than our respective uh, occupations. And uh, over time, you know, we decided on the name Storage Warrior because we were kind of, we were sort of known as like the Jared and Brandy of Storage Wars um, in Vancouver. That was kind of our nicknames. And so we went with Storage Warrior and started building the brand and building the business um, by doing a lot of selling on eBay. It actually took us a couple of years to get into eBay and start to feel comfortable with the platform. Um, I remember that having, you know, 10 or 15 listings and being like, this is so overwhelming. How could we possibly ever have a full-time eBay business and cut to today and we're at over 6,000 listings. So um, it was quite a process of scaling up and it took a long time, um, but we kept doing it and persevering and we eventually started to gain a little bit of recognition. So um, for those of you who know me already, um, you'll know some of this stuff, but I'm assuming there's gonna be a lot of listeners who don't. So um, by 2019, um, we had applied for and won the eBay Canada Micro Multinational Entrepreneur of the Year Award, which was an incredible recognition. Um, we were so pleased to win that award. eBay flew us to Ottawa, there was a party, this was right before the pandemic started, actually. It was kind of funny. We were even on the plane going, we probably shouldn't be on this plane. But uh, anyway, we went to Ottawa. We did the whole spiel. We got the award. And then um, the following year, we were also inducted into the eBay 25th Anniversary Hall of Fame. So um, we're very proud of those achievements and accomplishments. Um, we, of course, long ago abandoned our other occupations and jobs um, to work together on this business full time. Um, our amount of staff ebbs and flows. We have a couple of remote staff and we sometimes have uh, full-time staff here at our Vancouver warehouse as well. And this is what we do. And so now that we've established something that we feel is sustainable, um, we've scaled up to a level that's consistent and we're comfortable with our income. Um, and, and people are always asking me, how do you do this? How do you make money from junk? How do you guys keep this as a full-time income? How does it pay all of your bills? And how do you pay for everything in this ridiculously expensive city, which some of you may know Vancouver is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. Um, and we often joke that we would have way more money if we just lived somewhere else, but hey, we're doing fine where we are, paying the sunshine tax, even though it's never sunny. Um, and people kind of wanted to know. Uh, resellers have asked us how we do it. Um, you know, we love sharing stories and hearing other stories from resellers. So, and I'm an educator. My background is in education. I've taught high school, I've taught university classes um, up to the graduate student level. And it's really ingrained in me to teach and show other people um, what I'm really good at and what I consider myself an expert at. That's really fun for me. So bring all those things together and it just created this inspiration for this podcast and what I want to bring to you. So over time, the podcast is going to evolve. I'm sure that the level of production is going to improve. We may add sponsors. Um, we may add um, all kinds of different aspects and features to this podcast. But for right now, it's me and a microphone and um, I'm looking for your feedback and input on how to make it better. So that's a little bit of our history um, of how we got started doing what we do and uh, where we're at now and trying to go with the business. But I do want to talk a little bit about um, our business goals and sort of what we see as the future of the business. Um, I really want to take you on kind of a journey with 
us um, as we try to continue to scale up and grow Storage Warrior into something quite a bit larger. Um, and we're going to make mistakes along the way. I plan to share those with you. I want to experiment with things, give you ideas to test in your own businesses and sort of um, help you along your reselling journey while we continue on ours. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, business goals for Storage Warrior and then um, some podcast goals. And then I'm going to get into some um, other uh, content for the last few minutes of our first episode. So people who know us in person know that we've been seeking this sort of elusive $1 million sales goal for a long time. Um, the, there's lots of challenges to selling vintage and collectibles, and I'll talk about some of those in, in a second. Um, it's very, very possible, and many people do sell $1 million or more in various um parts of e-commerce, um, but vintage and collectibles has its own unique set of challenges. And we may also may be a, a slight disadvantage just due to being in Canada. So it's something I'm gonna loop back to and talk about a bit in a minute as well. Um, so I don't know, you may be wondering why is it so important or why does it matter? Um, the goal may be slightly in vain, but I'm just genuinely curious if it's possible um, because a vintage and collectibles reselling business, while it's a relatively straightforward model and very um, accessible to get into at a small scale, it's got some drawbacks to conventional scalable business models. And um, the biggest one that I see is the inconsistency in the amount, value and type of inventory that you can procure. So as resellers, we don't have just a few suppliers we can typically rely on. So, um, oh, by the way, in this podcast, I'm going to be bringing in lots of um, examples and research um, from business-related publications. Um, I've got an MBA, and that's just where my mind goes. I go to business strategy um, to try and figure out our business problems. So I'm going to talk a little bit about supply chain, um, and I hope that I'm able to make it interesting for you. Um, but one of the big challenges that I see as um, resellers of used goods is what I just said, that we don't we we don't have suppliers that we can contract with and get a consistent amount of inventory from. And so what that means is that we are not as easily able to um, do the same kind have the same kinds of marketing formulas appeal to exactly the same kinds of customers so we can't create these so-called sales funnels where we go from procuring the inventory to selling it to the customer in a consistent repeatable formulaic way the way somebody selling new products could so if we think about a typical new products business, I'll stick to collectibles because it's a category that I think a lot of listeners are going to know. But let's think about something like Funko Pop. OK, lots of people sell Funko Pop and Funko Pop. You know, you can you can purchase the products from from the distributor. You can put them on your website. You can have quantity listings. You can create Facebook ads around the Funko Pops that you have. You can um, go and do a Funko Pop marketing campaign. You can target your buyers very specifically and keep coming back to the same group of buyers who want to get their Funko Pops from you. Um, so that supply chain is a very easy one to set up and it's a very easy one to flow through and it's a very easy one to maintain because you have a very similar set of products that you buy you have a very repeatable process for marketing and advertising those products and you're very likely to nurture a strong list of repeat buyers over time and repeat buyers are much cheaper than uh, marketing to new customers. I'll get into that in another episode sometime when we talk about marketing. 
Um, but so for that reason, these, these types of new product supply chains are very, very simple. And then you can expand them and complicate them by bringing in um, other types of inventory if you want to. But um, the way we do it with vintage and collectibles reduces the efficiency of that supply chain by quite a degree. So you know this, if this is if you're into selling used goods, you might get some stuff from garage sales, you might get some stuff from storage auctions, you may purchase things from estates or buy an entire collection. Um, and from month to month and year to year, you're not necessarily going to have the same scope of products in your store. And so that means that you're, if you get, say, as, as we did a couple of months ago, a big collection of model kits, now all of a sudden I got to go figure out how do I sell model kits? How do I advertise model kits? Who are the types of people who purchase model kits? And I have to set up this whole like sort of marketing funnel or this thought process even of how am I going to reach these customers? And to some extent, it is as simple as just putting these listings up on eBay and waiting for them to sell. Um, but, you know, over over time, as you sell more model kits, you start to realize what are buyers looking for? Do they want things lotted up? What do they need in the descriptions? And so you're constantly learning and tweaking that until the next time you purchase a big collection of um, penguins, which just happened to me last week. We just got a big collection of penguins. So now I have to repeat that process again for an entirely new category. And so all of that adds time to the management of the business. Um, even with some products, you have to learn new ways of shipping that you may not be used to, new methods for shipping. Um, you might have to set up new policies for shipping, just depending on the weight, the size of the item. So there's, you know this as experienced resellers that, you know, every time you have a new product category, your system has to adjust. And so for that reason, it can be challenging to scale up because you don't have a process that where you just repeat the same process over and over again and just figure out how to scale up that one piece. It's not like an assembly line or something very simple. Um, and I think that's one of the big challenges to, um, to getting to $1 million in annual sales when it comes to vintage collectibles and used goods. To me, this seems like the biggest barrier. So I'm always trying to crack this code <laughs> and, um, and I'm hopefully going to be able to learn how uh, via this podcast while also teaching you um, if you if that's something that you're interested in. So are there million dollar resellers already in vintage and collectibles? I'm guessing that they that there are. Um, I follow a few uh, YouTube channels and blogs and podcasts um, where I suspect that they might be um, selling seven figures a year or more. Um, but I'm not sure. Just based on what those people discuss publicly, it seems very plausible that they are. Um, and but these sellers that I have in mind, who I'm not going to name today, but maybe hopefully in the future, we'll have them on as guests. Um, they're all in the United States. And that's another barrier that I see to reaching seven figures in sales is just simply being in Canada. So if you're listening to this podcast from the United States, um, you may not be familiar with these types of obstacles. But one thing we have in Canada is atrociously expensive shipping. Um, right now, with all the fuel sur surcharges, I can't ship a, a baseball cap from Vancouver to Toronto for less than about 18 or 19 dollars and that's with my significant discounts that we get through canada post so parcel um, prices are outrageous um we have some ways to mitigate that if we're in large urban centers but people in rural areas really are um at the whim of canada post um there i think also there is a little bit of um buyer um distrust um if they don't like purchasing 
I think a lot of American buyers don't like purchasing things from other countries because they don't know what their own country's duty taxes and um, customs rules are when it comes to um, package values. And so that can be a barrier and it's not something that um, buyers are necessarily willing to reach out to a seller and ask about. Um, so I think sometimes when people see things based in Canada or based in another country or being sold out of that, they just kind of, well, I'd rather buy something from within my own country because it's less complicated. Um, so I think that those are probably genuine barriers, but I also see them in a sense as like limiting beliefs. Like these are solvable problems. These are things that I don't think we need to hide behind and say that as Canadians, we can't reach this level of success because of this or that. I think these are just problems that, um, you know, we continuously work on solving. And whether that means like lobbying with Canada Post to try and get better shipping rates or, or um, you know, putting uh, templates in our in our listings that explain to American buyers that they don't have to pay duty if they're buying from Canada unless their package is worth $800 or more. Um, we can educate our buyers in, in ways that sort of mitigate these types of risks. So I think being in Canada can have its disadvantages, but I don't think it's necessarily the big reason or um, a genuine barrier to, to seven figures. Um, so that's kind of what our business goals look like. Uh, and these are some of the problems that I want to explore. And there are others um, that I hope I can, you know, problems that I can solve to sort of get us to that goal. Um, and if you're facing some of the same issues and problems in your reselling business, then maybe some of the ideas and things that we try can help you as well. So uh, moving on to podcast uh, goals. So very vaguely, um, I want to help more people do reselling business right. Um, I see a lot of anxiety on public forums of people who are just getting into reselling or having some of the problems that newbie sellers tend to face. Um, and there's a lot of stress and anxiety about reselling that I feel like doesn't need to be there. Um, a lot of these problems we experience at the beginning of our reselling journeys are actually have very simple solutions. And thankfully, the reseller platforms out there, the Facebook groups and that, and even some of the YouTube um, videos have great solutions and offer excellent support to help sellers through these. Um, but I do want to show people that this doesn't have to be an anxiety provoking business. Um, I want to show people that they have all of the control, uh, even when the platforms that we use change their ways, ultimately forcing us to change ours. So we know there are challenges with using third-party platforms to sell. Um, platforms like eBay and Etsy and Poshmark will change their policies uh, quite regularly, in fact. And we're forced to adjust our business practices every single time that those policies change, um, and which can be really frustrating. And the only alternative is to build our own stores through Shopify or something which carries its own set of massive challenges in terms of audience building and things like that. Um, so I want to demonstrate that even though we're in some ways at the mercy of these changes, we still always have aspects of our business that we can control. And it's more important that we focus on those um, than to get upset and fearful or anxious when these changes happen to uh, in these third in these third party platforms, um, because it will continue to happen. They're not going to stop. And so more specifically with this podcast, I'd like to build a community of thousands of resellers who are all sort of helping each other. Um, I'd love to see at least 100 downloads per episode by the end of 2022, um, which sounds small, but it's actually pretty challenging to get a lot of downloads with podcasts. So tell your friends. Um, <laughs> and I'd also like to launch some sort of an e-product by the end of the year that's going to help other resellers, maybe an e-book or a small reselling course. So keep that kind of in the back of your mind for now. The 
there'll be more on that um, later as we get the podcast a little bit more established. But those are some of the things that I would like to be doing with this show. Um, currently, there are no sponsors. I may um, seek them out later um, to sort of bring that into the business. And I will not do Patreon. I will not ask you for spare change to help support this podcast. Yes, there are costs um, to producing the podcast. I have subscriptions, I have, um, you know, software that I need. Um, there's there's definitely costs for transcription when I get into that and, and all kinds of things. It costs money to produce a podcast, but I am not going to ask you to pay for it. Um, I'm out here telling you that I have a multiple six-figure business that's very profitable. And this is me giving back to the community that supported me over the years. I'm not going to ask you for money to support me, The like, making the podcast. This is free. This is for you. And I'm going to continue to um, to have it that way. Um, so I'm not going to do Patreon. I'm not going to do buy me a coffee. I'm not going to do any of that. This is free. Okay. So moving on a little bit to some content um, that may be a little bit more reflective of what this podcast is going to be about. I want to start big with a big topic. And that is the scary, potentially, maybe, possibly looming recession. So as we move beyond the pandemic lockdowns and the world gets back to whatever normal is now, um, we are seeing a lot of interesting things happening economically. Interest rates are rising. Gas prices are whoa. Um, there is a war. Inflation is high, higher than it's been in a very long time. And all of these things create fear. It doesn't matter if you're a reseller. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you work in corporate, if you own a small business, whatever you do, these things are troubling. I mean, they are macro issues that you don't have a lot of control over. Um, so I just want to talk for a few minutes, and I'll probably do a little more of this um, in upcoming episodes, especially if indeed we do get into a recession. Um, to sort of bring you through how I think that that might impact resellers. Um, and I will, over time, start building in some research and data that's going to help, hopefully help you make decisions if these tough times are in fact coming. But for now, let me just talk a little bit about recessions and sort of my theories around them and how they might affect the reselling business. There's one that's very obvious and it's one that has um, shown itself to be uh, a thing in uh, previous recessions which is that when consumers do clamp down on their spending behavior in these economic downturns, they do tend to turn to used goods. Um, so I've read anecdotally from resellers who went through the last recession, 2008, 2009, depending on the category of goods that they were selling, some of them actually did quite well because people were buying a little bit less new and looking to cut costs by purchasing used. So one, possibility is that if we do see a recession that we may see a resurgence in people purchasing used goods that they need so i'm talking about like furniture clothing household goods that kind of stuff that sort of forms the basics of our survival and our and our needs as people in society people may be looking to buy that stuff used so there could be opportunities for clothing resellers. There could be opportunities for people who sell tools, um, household appliances, um, furnishings, uh, things, just things that can be used in the home. Um, maybe in the and those small sort of trinkets and small cheap tchotchkes and little collectibles, 
we may see a downturn in some of that because those are sort of considered luxuries and little excess bits of spending that um, that people might might not buy. So I think some of us are seeing that already um, with certain categories of items, certain categories of collectibles are going down. Um, May, I've heard anecdotally from a lot of sellers was a really tough month. Sales were down for a lot of people. They were down for us um, fairly significantly, I would say. Um, and I can think of a variety of reasons for that. Uh, focusing on the ones that I can control. I think one of the reasons our sales specifically were down for May is because we hadn't hit our comic book collection up in a really long time. We hadn't posted that many new comic books and we're comic books are one of our largest categories of items and we had barely put any up for sale all year even though we have quite a large collection here at home that we're always trying to work through um so I, so because of that and that being one of our biggest categories our comic book sales fell really hard um and that was really just because that was an aspect of our business that we weren't working i'm not saying that this is the reason that other people's sales were down but I think it's one of the things that was under our control that we could have done better with in May than we did. And I think we may not have seen as big of a drop in sales in May if we had uh, focused a little bit more on comic books. So I've got this article from Harvard Business Review and I'm gonna share it in the show notes. Um, I may come back to this article uh, in future episodes because it's actually quite long and um, I, I'm not going to go through everything today. It's an article that was actually written during the last recession called How to Market in a Downturn by uh, John Kulch and Catherine E. Jose. Jose? I'm not sure how to pronounce that, so apologies to Catherine. Um, but anyway, they write, um, during recessions, consumers set stricter priorities and reduce their spending. As sales start to drop, businesses typically cut costs, reduce prices, and postpone new investments. Marketing expenditures in areas from communications to research are often slashed across the board, but such indiscriminate uh, cost cutting is a mistake. So as consumers withdraw their spending, businesses also tend to withdraw their spending. Oh, if people aren't buying as much, the theory is, you know, I shouldn't be spending as much on marketing. But that's not necessarily a good idea. So one of the things that they suggest and that I would pass on to you if we do come into um, a recession is that it is time to start to nurture your current base of customers. Even if you are a seller who doesn't maintain an email list or doesn't necessarily always know who your repeat buyers are, if you're selling on a platform like eBay, they have introduced tools to nurture repeat buyers. They're pretty straightforward and simple tools, but they are there. You can send coupons out to buyers. Um, you can create segments of buyers and then market specifically to people who've purchased from you before. This is the time to strengthen that customer base. It's a time where if you do spend money and time on traditional marketing or on just trying to tell people about your business, this is the time to the talk, talk to the people who already know you and get them coming back. It's not going to be so much the time for spending a whole bunch of time and resources trying to bring new customers because new customers are very expensive and people are spending less, which means it's going to cost you even more to get a new customer than it used to in the past. You have to remember one thing. There are always people with money. We, there's that phrase, the rich always get richer. And it's true to a certain extent. People who are in very comfortable financial positions now, only some of them are going to fall off if there is a recession. Many of them are going to be able to maintain or even increase their wealth. And a lot of those people with money are into collecting. So this is a time to nurture your current base, to drive repeat customers. 
you may have a smaller overall group of customers, but you may be able to build some loyalty um, and get those existing customers coming back. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about recession psychology in um, upcoming episodes. We're definitely going to come back to this. The other thing that you need to look at is what is still selling well. So whatever, you, even if you sell in a huge range of categories, you probably have three or four categories that you know really well as a seller and that you may sell more of than other categories. Why is that? What's still selling well? If there's something in your store that's still selling well compared to other categories, now's the time to be sourcing more of that thing. Simplify your business model, niche down, don't focus on so many categories and you'll be able to weather a potential recession, I think, and again, this is just my theory, um, better than, than many other resellers. So we're going to come back to that in future episodes. I want to talk a lot more about how people act during a recession, why we don't need to be so fearful. I remember during the last recession, I had just finished my MBA and had just gotten out of university and everybody was looking for jobs and nobody was finding any. And uh, and I told everybody, I, I, I choose not to participate in this recession. And everyone was like, you're hilarious. Of course, you don't have a choice. And I was like, I do. And, you know, I went back to basics um, you know, went back to jobs that I knew I could get even pre-MBA, um, where my skill set was still in demand, and then I got them. I actually ended up with four job offers after my MBA um, during the 2009 recession. And I say that not to brag, I just say that because I think that these principles apply whether you're just a job seeker or whether you're a reseller, no matter what type of, of business or career you're looking at, um, you can sort of use these same ideas to continue to have success even where others aren't. So is $1 million in sales going to be possible if there is a recession? Whew. So that is a question that I cannot answer today. Um, you know, I, I still think that if, you know, if we were to come across a incredible collection of comic books or um, just a really valuable collection in a category that we know really well and that we already sell a lot of, then I think we would probably not have a problem um, reaching our goal despite any potential economic downturn. So I think a lot of this is going to come back to sourcing, um, being able to um, find better stuff, find more expensive stuff with a higher average selling price, higher value items um, that the people who who will keep their money during this recession are still going to be able to afford to buy. Because remember, rich people are going to buy richer collectibles. So if you have more valuable things, you might actually do better in the recession. We have a we have this idea that c consumers only want to buy cheap stuff when there's an economic downturn, but it really depends on your audience. So, so my theory is like I want to find the wealthy collectors figure out what they want, and then source the items that um, that I can sell to them. So simple, right? Yeah, right. Not that simple. But the general principle is that you got to try and find a way to earn more money doing the same work. So scaling up is also about efficiency. So I already talked about the challenges in our businesses of building efficiency, but there are still lots of things that you can do to build it. Um, and then growing your revenue per item or your average selling price is part of building that efficiency. 
Um, so the last couple of years were really hard for us for sourcing um, during the pandemic. We were having a hard time finding new inventory and we were selling really well. So we had this weird problem. Um, now we see maybe sales are slowing down a little bit, but inventory is becoming more available. So hopefully I'll be able to test my theory of finding more expensive, more luxury collectibles, because I think that more people will be selling them off um, and come back to you and let you know if that theory actually worked. So that's going to be it for today's episode for episode one. Um, if you like this episode, please share it. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We are Instagram storage underscore warrior. Um, send your friends over to businessofreselling.com. Get them signed up for the podcast list. Um, and that'll give them all the information they need to get this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere that they get their, their podcasts. Um, so I really hope that you are going to share this. Um, and I hope that you're going to give me your feedback on what you'd like to hear me talk about. Um, so I can really curate these episodes for you and exactly what you need. Uh, so um, I promised a call to action in every episode. So today's call to action is to tell me what your reselling goal is. So I want to get like a flavor of who you are and what you're trying to do and why you're listening to this podcast. So what is your reselling goal? Is it revenue? Is it stuff? Is it like, what are you trying to do with your reselling business? Um, that's what I want to know. And as specifically as possible. So hit me up on Instagram storage underscore warrior or by email. Hello at storage warrior.ca. And let me know so we can kind of start building some community and creating some accountability together. Uh, and before I go, by the way, we're always buying and looking for sourcing leads in Vancouver and the surrounding areas. So if you hear of anything that we might be into as you start to learn about some of the categories that we like to sell, please don't hesitate to reach out if you hear of anybody in our area selling their stuff. That's it for now. We'll see you in the next episode.